Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. here? What is wrong with this thing? What am I even waiting for? Oh my gosh. Are you okay? I think I'm lost. All right. Well, don't worry. I'll call someone and we'll wait together. How many of you know exactly which light that is? It's a place of honesty. How many of you have run it before because no one was around? Hey, I'd like to start with a little thought experiment. So I wanna invite you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to imagine that you and five of your best friends have made reservations at a restaurant and it's your favorite place to go. You made them a week in advance. It's the day of, and you arrive to the restaurant two minutes before your reservation time perfection, okay? You go to the hostess stand and check in. They have your reservation, and she invites you to have a seat. And from where you're sitting, you can see a table that has six places at it. The busser comes over, busses it, gets it all ready. And you look at your watch and five minutes pass. The time the table's been cleared, you're still sitting in the waiting room. And then uh, another five minutes pass and your knee starts to bounce a little bit. And another five minutes pass and it's now 15 minutes past your reservation. You are looking at a table that is cleaned off, prepared and ready for a table exactly your size. What do you do? What do you do? Uh, How many of you um, stew silently? You don't say anything, but you just start to get frustrated. Anyone? Okay. Uh, How many of you go up to the hostess stand and say, "Um, hey, there's six of us who have a reservation. You have a table of six that's cleared. I wonder if we could bring these two things together. (laughs) Anybody? All right. How many of you get out your phone and start to write a review on Yelp? Anybody? A few of you. Okay, yeah, a few of you. We hate waiting, don't we? Especially when we feel like our waiting is unjustified. And part of the reason that you and I hate waiting so much is because we live in a society and cultural moment of perpetual hurry. We are constantly going from one place to the next. In fact, in his great book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer wrote, psychologists and mental health professionals are now talking about an epidemic in the modern world. The epidemic isn't COVID, it's actually hurry sickness. It says they, they can actually label this now as a disease and hurry sickness, see if this sounds familiar, means that you live your life with an almost constant sense of urgency from one place to the other, back to back to back. So for a culture that's in a perpetual sense of hurry, waiting is the great imposition, isn't it? 
I mean, it's an assault on the perceived control that we feel like we have of our lives, and it's an inhibitor of our greatest value, which is productivity. Because what good comes out of waiting? What substance actually takes place when we're just in between one thing and the next? It's the reason that we absolutely hate waiting rooms at the doctor, don't we? Or we hate waiting in lines in order to get on a ride. For example, at Disneyland, I was so grateful when they finally invented the fast pass. I mean, why did this take so long, right? And when you have the fast pass, don't you just feel a little bit better than? Like when you're walking past people, don't you just sort of want to lean over and under your, under your breath, just go, suckers, right? Like, we've always wanted to cut in line, and now we can do it even at Disneyland. Or maybe it's like waiting icons in our society. I mean, how much do you hate to see the pinwheel of death? Can I get an Amen right? Or if you're on a PC, I don't know what you look at, maybe an hourglass or something like that. But right, yeah, we absolutely hate seeing that. Or maybe you text somebody and you're waiting on a simple yes or no answer and you see this little deal. (laughs) And then you see it disappear (laughs) and nothing comes through. And you're tempted to do something absolutely crazy, absolutely insane. You are tempted, because you hate waiting so much, you're tempted to do something crazy. Like, make a phone call. (laughs) What's it? Is it yes or no? Just, come on, people, right? I mean, we hate waiting, don't we? Or maybe you've had one of those phone calls where you have to call into an automated thing, and now they're so gracious, and they tell you, you're number 25 in line. And we will get to your call in 2023 or whenever we feel like it. And you're like, oh my goodness. We hate waiting, don't we? I was reminded of that when we were, as a family, flying up. I was teaching at Mount Hermon a few weeks ago and we were flying up. And I, can, I just thought about all the waiting that goes into traveling. Right? We were waiting when we drove down. We were waiting to get picked up, to be taken to the terminal. And then once we got into the terminal, we waited in line at security. And then after we got through security, we got dressed again. And then we went to the terminal. And then we were waiting there for the plane. And then we got on the plane. And any guesses what we did once we got onto the plane? We waited. We waited. I mean, it was just one thing after another, and I'm convinced that if I had one superpower to choose, I would choose to be able to teleport from one place to the next so I wouldn't have to wait. Yeah, I mean, we hate waiting, but I don't think, I don't think we just hate waiting for the bubbles to disappear, and I don't think we just hate waiting in lines. I think we hate waiting seasons in life in general. Seasons where we're in this perpetual in-between. In-between what was and in-between what will be. I mean, you may be in this room today and you're, you're waiting on a job to come through. Maybe you're waiting on a call from a doctor to figure out what's going on. Maybe you got the call from the doctor and now it's just a season of waiting to see is the medication and the treatment, is it, is it going to work? Maybe you've walked through a season of immense grief and sorrow, and your question is, am I ever going to feel normal again? Is this cloud ever going to lift? 
Maybe, maybe you're, you've been sort of torn apart as a family and you're just waiting on the pieces to be brought back together. That person won't return the phone call. They won't come to anything family-oriented. And we're just, you're in this season of waiting. Or maybe you've graduated from college, you've got the job, and you've just been praying, God, will you bring me that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that spouse that I can do life with? And you're in this in-between season and you're waiting or Maybe you found that person and you said your I do's and for some reason it didn't work out. And you're back to waiting again. Waiting is difficult, isn't it? And it's exactly what this psalm in Psalm 130 is going to invite us to dwell on today. And I want to invite you to open your Bible there, Psalm 130. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the seat back right in front of you. If you flip to the middle, my guess is you'll be pretty close to the Psalms and you can look for Psalm 130 there. But remember, this is a song that people would sing. And so for a few thousand years, people have been writing songs about waiting. And we write songs in our day, in our time about waiting too, don't we? Don't we? We do. In fact, I showed my outline, not even what I was really going to talk about, just the outline of my notes to somebody. And they said, oh man, that reminds me of this song. Anybody? Tom Petty? Is the hardest part every day. Come on. Don't hang me out to dry like that. You take it through the heart, the way. Yeah, the waiting, thank you, thank you. Um, the waiting is the hardest part often, isn't it? Yeah, we expect things that are going to happen to happen fast if they're going to happen at all. In our day and our time, we want it fast. We want our Amazon packages to come immediately. We want our food to be delivered right after we order it. We have a deeply held value of fast in our day and our time. And unfortunately, that is not, please hear me on this, that is not a deeply held value in God's economy. Fast is not a deeply held value in God's economy. And if we want our discipleship to Jesus to happen fast, if we want the formation of our soul to happen quickly, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment. And it's that very thing that Psalm 130, this song, is going to talk about. Remember, this summer we're in a series that we're calling Road Trip Playlist because we're looking at this collection of psalms that was sung by pilgrims as they were marching from their place of uh, their home to a place of worship in Jerusalem. They would do this multiple times every year. And this collection of 15 psalms called the Psalms of Ascent were the songs that they would sing along the way. Author Eugene Peterson calls this the Hebrews people, their dog-eared songbook. And listen to Psalm 130, as the psalmist writes. He says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, There is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. 
For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And I'd like to suggest to you that the crux of Psalm 130 is found in verse 5. The, the point of it all. It's as though verses 1 through 4 sort of lead you to this pinnacle. And then verses 6 through 8 lead you down from it. But right at the center of this psalm is the point. And the psalmist writes this. For the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word... Now, for a pilgrim, for somebody who's sojourning and walking from their home up to Jerusalem, you had to believe that there would be moments and times of waiting. Times when the parents had to run into town and figure out, is there some place we can get food, or is there a place we can find shelter, or inevitably there were bathroom and pit stops along the way, right? And if you've taken a road trip lately, you know that most of a road trip is spent waiting, it's spent in between one place and another. It's the reason that Kelly and I would often drive through the night when we were driving from California to Colorado. Now, we're not as young as we used to be, okay? Can I get an amen? Anybody with me? We can't do that anymore. But we just absolutely hated the waiting so much that we would do whatever we could to avoid it. But here's what the psalmist says. He says, my, what? Say it with me, church. My soul waits it's a great translation of the Hebrew word nefesh. It means my inner parts, my inner being, me. And here's the point that the psalmist is making. I think it's poignant. He's suggesting that you can be waiting physically, but have a soul that's hurried. That you can be in a position where you aren't going anywhere. You aren't making progress from point A to point B. But what's going on in your soul is like a hamster's running on a wheel. Okay, just by show of hands, how many of you have ever been caught in traffic? Just put your hand up. We live in California, okay? We live in traffic, right? Um, and you were waiting physically. You weren't going anywhere. But you were getting more anxious the longer you waited. Something in your soul was starting to jump and leap and get angry and get frustrated. See, we know that we can wait physically but have a soul that's anxious and growing more and more Hopeless. See, the psalmist is suggesting that we typically think of waiting as a bodily and physical activity, but he's suggesting that waiting is more about the posture of your soul than it is about your body. It's the reason that David would write in Psalm 27, verse 14 Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart. Wait for the Lord. He's saying, Listen, this is about what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your soul, because waiting is as much about what's going on in our soul as it is about what's going on in our body. And we typically really struggle with seasons of waiting, don't we? So we have a strategy of how to get through them, how to get through them quicker often, right? Like, so sometimes our strategy is let's just force our way through. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to take all of the resources at my disposal and I am just going to force my way through this season of waiting. I don't even care if I get the right job. I just need a job. I'm just going to get it over with. Let's do it, right? And sometimes our strategy is, well, let's, let's entertain our way through waiting. Let's swipe and let's click our way through waiting. 
I mean, if you want an example of this, just look around. The next time you're at Starbucks or you're in the grocery store line, look around and what you will see is that you might be the only one looking around. Most people are just buried, right? Because we hate waiting. So if we can quit, click and swipe and like and comment, it'll just pass the time. But sometimes when waiting is really, really painful, we turn to other things that are more destructive, right? Like instead of waiting well, we're, we're going to just numb ourselves with alcohol or drugs, or maybe we're going to buy something online or we're going to eat. We're going to find ways to numb ourselves because waiting really is the hardest part. See, we often, you and I, we often view waiting as a time to get through rather than a time where God might be trying to get through to us. See, here's the truth of the matter, friends. What if, what if waiting isn't wasted time at all? What if, what if waiting isn't time to just get through? But what if waiting, what if waiting is God's workshop? What if waiting is the space and the time where God meets us, speaks to us, changes us, and shapes us. See, the truth of the matter is, friends, that everyone will wait in life. The question is not, will you wait? The question is, will you wait well? And the way that you wait will determine what's formed in you and through you during the waiting. And if we short-circuit the waiting process, we will short-change the growth that God wants to take place in us. In fact, let me say that again. If we shortchange the waiting process or short circuit the waiting process, we will shortchange the growth that God wants to have take place within us. There's a reason, there's a reason that the psalmist will write in verse five, I wait on the Lord. And then he says, in his word, I hope. He's going, God has become something different to me through the season of waiting than he was before. I am clinging to his word. I'm clinging to his activity. It is my only hope. See, waiting is actually an essential part of God's transformation process in our life. It's the reason that when God came to Abraham and he told him, Abraham, you are going to be the father of many nations. Do you know how long Abraham waited for God to fulfill that promise? Anyone know? 25 years. 25 years. And I've often read that and I've thought, God, why not just give the promise a lot closer to the fulfillment? Why make this poor guy wait for two and a half decades? Because God's doing something in his life through the waiting. The same thing is true of Israel. They're going into the promised land, but instead of going into the promised land because of their disbelief and their sin, they go and they wander for how many years? 40 years. 40 years of waiting. 40 years of God's workshop. Of becoming a different kind of people. And did you know that Jesus had the audacity to make his disciples wait? On more than one occasion, we see him intentionally causing them to embrace a season of in-between. And so, and so, if how we wait determines what's produced in us while we wait, here's the question I want us to ask today. How do we wait well? 
How do we wait well? Because everyone will wait in life, but not everyone will wait well. So how do we wait well? I'm so glad you asked that. Because that's actually what this song is all about. Go back to the very beginning of it with me. Because the psalmist is going to teach us how to be people who wait well. In whatever season of waiting, in whatever way we might be waiting, here's how we wait well. Verses 1 and 2 read like this. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord... Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now, we don't know exactly what type of situation the psalmist is in when he's writing this, but he uses this word depths. And if you go and do a word study of that word all throughout the scriptures, what you will find is that that word is most often used in reference to the sea, to the, to the depths of the ocean. And while they hadn't done deep sea exploration at this time, the psalmist views that as a place of utter need and dependency. You know, in 2009, a man by the name of Victor Vescovo reached the deepest part of the ocean we have ever been to. It's on the Moranian Trench, and it's 35,853 feet down. Can you imagine... You know what they found at the bottom of this space? A lot of darkness, very little life. Unfortunately, they also found a little bit of trash. Okay? Um, and the picture that the psalmist is painting when he goes to God is of crying out from a place of darkness, from a place of lifelessness, from a place of if you were at the deepest point in the ocean, you would have 1,071 times more pressure on you there than you do on the shore. And I think the psalmist is going, I'm under pressure, I feel darkness, I'm in pain. And so what does he do in the season of waiting and the season of pain? He cries out to God, God, hear my voice. And that's the first way that we wait well. We voice our honest pain to God. We voice our pain honestly to him. We don't hold back. We come before his throne and say, God, do you hear me? God, will you move on my behalf? God, please show your hand to be strong. I love the way that Pastor Josh put it last week. He said that we are called to pray as we are, not as we should be. And I think there's so many times in life where we just, we polish our pain. We go, it's not, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. It doesn't sting that badly. And we cover it with trite Christian, Christian cliches, hashtag blessed, even though on the inside we're falling apart. And we think it's the more spiritual thing to do. But can I tell you, when I read through the Psalms, I see people in the depths who are admitting it, naming it, and then calling out to God, God, I need to see your hand move on my behalf. Friends, we don't want to play church we don't want to pretend that things are okay when they're not. We want to create the type of culture here where people can go honestly to God and honestly to one another and say, this is what I'm walking through. This is the season that I'm in. This divorce that I walked through is wrecking me. It's hurting me. It's killing me. This job loss, I don't know where we're going to make and how we're going to make ends meet. We need each other, friends. So if you are in a place of pain, I just want you to know that this is a safe place. But we often view pain as like toothpaste where like if we squeeze it out, 
are we going to be able to get it back in? Right? What am I going to do once it's out? But what if? What if the goal isn't to get it back in? Well, what if the goal is actually to get it out and to bring it before others and to bring it before God and say, God, would you meet me in this place of pain? It's the reason that as a church for decades and decades, we've had a care and counseling department because sometimes we just need people to walk with us as we voice our honest pain to God and to help us through that season. So if you need counseling, therapy, spiritual direction, can I encourage you, reach out. If you feel like you're in the depths, you don't need to be there alone. And so he voices his honest pain to God. But look at what he does next. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. And this week, I was just wrestling with this. What is this connection between iniquities and forgiveness and waiting? And then I started to think back on seasons in my life where I was waiting. Seasons where I was asking God to move and it just seemed like he was silent and I was in this perpetual in-between. And see if this sounds familiar. I sometimes, in seasons of waiting, start to play games with God like, Hey God, are you, are you punishing me? God, am I, am I doing penance because of the things that I've done? Like, I know I trust in Jesus, and I know you're a good, good father, and I want to run to the Father, but, but are you? Am I receiving, like, punishment from you in this season? Is that what this is about? Now, first, before I fully answer that question, I want to say there are seasons in life where God disciplines us. But that's different than just punishing us in a retributive way, making us or wanting us to feel some sort of pain. No, the author of Proverbs writes this. He says, my son, don't despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. So what is the motivation that God has to discipline us? What is it? Love. It's, it's delight. I love you so much. I'm going to come alongside of you and I am going to reshape your trajectory. I am going to come alongside of you sometimes to say, man, that was really, really wrong. And if you keep going down that track, you are going to walk towards death and you are going to walk away from the abundance that I want. And sometimes that really stings and that really hurts. But it's not God coming up to you and saying, oh, you're terrible. You are so bad and you did that wrong. Therefore, I'm going to make you hurt. No, he does it out of a posture of love. He's always restorative, not retributive. Even when God sent the nation of Israel into exile for 70 years, his stated purpose for sending them there, you can read about this in Hosea chapter 2, is so that they might hear the overtures of his love and return to relationship with him. So sometimes it's God's discipline that puts us in a season of waiting and sometimes, let's just be honest, you guys, let's just be honest. Sometimes it's our stupid decisions. You don't need to elbow anybody or point at anybody, but yeah, right? Sometimes it's the things that we've done that have put us in that position. But what does the psalmist do? In light of all of that, he goes, listen, in seasons of waiting, recount forgiveness frequently. 
Like come before your God and remember that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he taken your sin away from you, that because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, he took all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame. He buried it in the ground and then walked out with new life in his hands. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And I don't know what season you're in right now, but it is a moment for us to just recount, God, you have forgiven us. You're good. But I was equally struck by this last word. <laughs> with you, there's forgiveness that you may be, say it with me, church, feared. I'm like, man, that doesn't make sense. There's a wide range of the way that the word fear is used in Scripture. Sometimes it means that we would run away and, and cower and sort of hide our face from being afraid. Uh, other times, and I think this is one of those cases, it's used in a sense of reverential awe. Like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Oh my goodness. So, so the psalmist is saying, when we realize that we are forgiven, it's like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, taking our breath away, going, oh my goodness. As far as east is from the west. Like washed pure, holy, spotless, blameless. I would argue if, forgiven, if forgiveness has not taken your breath away, you haven't really wrestled with the severity of your sin and God's holiness and the grace that has been showered down on you. The psalmist continues. So, so he says, Listen, we voice our honest pain and we recount forgiveness frequently. And, and then he says, in the seasons of waiting, he goes, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for him. I, in his word, I hope. Verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. And he paints this picture of you and I in seasons of waiting where we are, and the illustration is we're watchmen. So what if you've just got that cancer diagnosis and you're in a season of waiting? What if you started to view yourself as, as a watchman? If you're looking for a job, you're, you're, you're a, a watchman. If you're going, God, when will this depression and when will this anxiety start to lift? What, you're you're a, a watchman. What does a watchman do? Well, in the ancient world, there would be walls around cities that were designed to protect those cities. Watchmen would be people that sat on top of the wall and they looked for threats that were on the horizon, enemies that would be coming their way. They sat, they were attentive, and they waited. And I would argue, I would argue that we cannot wait well if we don't actively watch for God's deliverance. So let me say this, if you've given up on seeing God's hand, move and work, empower on your behalf, you're no longer waiting. You've stepped into despair, not hope, fatalism, not faith, because watching for deliverance patiently is a part of how we wait well. But I thought about this picture this metaphor of a watchman on a wall. And I thought, what, is the, what does the watchman do? <laughs> I mean, they stand and they watch, but here's what they realize. They realize they can't control all the things that happen out here. 
The watchman isn't in charge of the results. They're not in charge of what's produced. They are simply charged with paying attention. They don't get to control the outcomes. But the second thing the watchman does, in order to stay attentive, the watchman has to have this deep-seated conviction and confidence. God, you're going to move. You're going to do something. It may not be exactly what I'm praying for, and it may not be exactly what I want, and the timeline might not add up with what I think it should be. But God, you are going to move. So I'm going to continue to get up day after day and look at the horizon and see if there's activity because I believe you're going to come through in some way, some shape, some form for me. I love the way that Eugene Peterson, the great author and pastor, put it. He said, the Christian's waiting and watching, that is hoping, is based on the conviction that God is actively involved in his creation and vigorously at work in redemption. Oh, what a great picture of the heart and soul that's waiting. God, you're at work. I don't get to control it, but I can have confidence in it. You're working in some way. The final thing that the psalmist points out says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is, say it with me, church, steadfast love. In the Hebrew, it's this one word, chesed. In fact, it's too fun to say alone. It's my favorite word in the Hebrew, chesed. Will you say that with me? Chesed. It means covenantal faithfulness. It means that when you let God down, he will not let you go. That's what that word means. He says, with the Lord, there's covenantal faithfulness, steadfast love, chesed. And with him, there is plentiful, like not lacking in any way, redemption. I love this picture because in seasons of waiting, especially if you're waiting in a really, really painful season, maybe emotionally painful or physically painful, if you're in a painful season, oftentimes the question that we start to ask is, God, do you love me? God, if you love me, why would you allow me to walk through this? God, if you're walking with me, why did they walk out on me? God, if you love me, why don't I see your hand providing the way that I've been hoping for and praying for? God, in the waiting, it is so hard to believe that you love me. I, I, as a kid, took swim lessons, and I can vividly remember our swim teacher standing in the water, and she was a distance away from us, and she would say, okay, swim towards me. And as I swam towards her, I could see her feet on the bottom of the pool, and she was doing this, <laughs> right? And, and I wanted to be like, that's not fair. Like, you, you can't do that. You said swim towards you, and you are moving, right? And, but how many of us feel like in seasons of waiting, in seasons of pain, in seasons of challenge, in seasons of hurt, where we are swimming as hard as we can towards God, and he's like, come on, come on, come on. And we think he's avoiding us. But here's the reality, friends. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. In seasons of waiting, God is not avoiding you. He's actually strengthening you. He's building you. He's shaping you. And so the psalmist says, like, listen, in the waiting, I will rest in the God who is loving. And when you cannot see God's hand 
you can trust God's heart, friends. Because as New Testament, New Covenant followers of Jesus, we get to see everything that happens to us passes through the cross. All the pain, all the hurt, all the waiting passes through Calvary's hill before it comes to you and to me. And on Calvary's hill, Jesus declared that above all, God loves you, he forgives you, he's for you, he sees you, he loves you so much, he's willing to take your sin and brokenness and death on himself and walk out with new life in his hands. So I don't know what you're walking through today, But I do know, and I don't know what you're waiting for, but I do know that God is with you in love. And so the invitation is to be people who voice our honest pain to God, who remember that we're forgiven, who look out for redemption because God is on the move, and who rest, who rest in his love. I read a story recently in a little devotional entitled Streams in the Desert. It's by a woman named L.B. Cowman. And she told this story about the time when her husband was really, really sick and was um, leading towards his, his death. She told this story about having this caterpillar or this cocoon that was sitting on her desk of an emperor moth. And it was sat, sat there for almost a year before there was any sort of activity in it. And then she started to see this little cocoon start to move. And she watched as this cocoon that held one of these emperor moths in it with this beautiful pattern started to shake. And she saw that the moth was struggling. And so here's what she did. She took a little pair of scissors. She cut the hole that the moth was trying to get out of just a little bit bigger. She was being gracious to this moth. She she didn't want it to struggle. But here's what she found later on. That it's actually the struggle that allows the fluid to be forced through their wings so that when they get out, they can fly. This moth got out of the cocoon but started to walk around and stumble around and eventually the moth died. That it was her kindness in trying to alleviate the suffering and move through the season of waiting quicker that actually caused the moth not to be formed in the way that God had intended. She writes, Oh, short-sighted person that I am. How do I know that one of these pains or groans should be relieved? The far-sighted, perfect love that seeks the perfection of its object does not weakly shrink away from present momentary suffering with this glorious purpose in sight. God does not always relieve our crying. And it's true, isn't it? Waiting really is his workshop. It's his workshop to shape us and to form us into people who carry his image, into people who walk with joy in the mountaintops and in the valleys of life. So friends, whether it's in line at a grocery store or whether it's waiting on a job to come through or if it's waiting on cancer that you know is eventually going to take your life or if it's waiting on COVID to end, 
Whatever it's waiting, let's not, sh- whatever way you're waiting, let's not short circuit the process and short change our formation and our growth. Friends, let's not entertain our way through waiting. Let's not simply find ways to cope with our waiting. Let's push into all that God wants to do inside of us as we wait and while we wait. And while we wait, let's release control. Let's be like watchmen on the wall. Let's make it our goal to grow in patience. It's a fruit of the Spirit, friends. And let's learn to trust in our great God. Because after all, the passage ends by saying, not he might redeem Israel, or there's a good chance he's going to redeem Israel, or yeah, I think it could happen. He will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. So, to my fellow moths, who find themselves at various points of emergence from the cocoon, may we wait well. We are all sojourners and pilgrims in this life. We live every day of our lives in the great in-between. And may we live in that workshop, God's workshop, really, really well. May it prepare us for the day when we fully emerge from this mortal life into immortality that Jesus paid for and purchased on our behalf. And at that point, may we soar. But in between now and then, may we wait well. Let's pray. Father, I want to lift up my friends in this space that are in the great in-between. They're really, they're, they came into this place struggling this morning, wondering, God, maybe even wondering if you're even real, doubting whether or not you're loving and you're good. Waiting can do that to us. So Lord, I, I pray that we'd be reminded collectively of your love today of your forgiveness today. God, I pray that we would be people who'd come before you with honesty, both in declaring your praise, but also in admitting our pain when we have it. And that you would meet us in that place. But Lord, I pray maybe most of all today that you would remind us that there will come a day where there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more tears, where the old order of things will pass away. And behold, the new will come. And Lord, we wait for that day while we wait today. May we wait well, and may it produce in us all that you want us to gain. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.